It's time for the View in Your Mirror podcast. I'm Katie Harms, and along with Lisa Rubin, we help you check in and curate the best possible you and the best view in your mirror. We share tips, tricks, and strategies from our 35 plus years in our respective industries. We talk about your day from morning to night and everything in between. We share our uniqueness, relish in our shared experiences. Along the way, we share conversation with fabulous people who give us their own thought-provoking insights. So come along as we help you hone the best view in your mirror. Lisa Rubin, Katie Harms. <laughs> happy 2023, my friend. Yes, happy 2023. Uh, it's going to be a good year, right, Katie? I absolutely it is. We have set our intent do we have a word? Do we have a combined word for our podcast? I don't know. We haven't talked about it. What's your t- word? Well, my word for 2023 is communication. Well, that would be a good word for a podcast. So we can, I am happy to share my word with the podcast and anyone else who wants to share the word communication. For me, it is being able to better communicate. I feel like I'm a lifelong communicator and I am always striving to be better at it. My word last year was listen. Okay. How do you think you did with that? Well, I think it was a mixed bag, Lisa, quite honestly. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I asked the question, Katie. Yes. Yes, I know. Uh, And I'm sure everyone would agree with you, but hey, what I feel is that we are all works in progress. A hundred percent. Every day we are all a work in progress. That's why we are doing the podcast, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the thing. If we, if we have our tips and tricks and things that we do that we've been able to share over the past seasons, what's great for us is we're constantly learning. And that's what I like about the energy of this podcast. It's lifelong learning for all of us. It's having guests that allow us to glean knowledge, or maybe it's having guests that allow us to say, wow, yeah, that's what I've been doing. So, Hey, yay me. You know, it's really, how do we put things in place for ourselves to make life easier, more enjoyable, to give us more time to do the things that we have passions for. That that was well said. That was well said. I see. I'm already better communicating. (laughs) Well, how about you? What's your 2023 have in store? I know that you do not pick a word. Well, I don't really pick a word. I, um, at the very, in January 1st, I write down uh, three personal goals and three professional goals that I want to achieve by the end of the year. And they're always kind of far-reaching bucket list goals. They're not ones I know I can achieve. And I put them in my wallet and I look at them every day. Every day. Every day. Because that's why they're in my wallet, because I use my wallet every day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should do that and put it next to my credit card so that when my credit card comes out, then that's falls out. (laughs) That's exactly where they are, actually. They're in a pocket right by my credit cards. I love that. 
And then I look at them and, you know, when you throw something out in the universe, I believe it can come back to you. And um, that's the way I have achieved certain successes and achievements over the years. Are you surprised ever at the end of the year? That I was last year. Were you? I was last year. Yeah. I, I wrote a couple things down and towards the end of the year, I got really busy and I had a lot of things going on and I really didn't look at it. And then I pulled it out on January 31st to relook at it. And my professional goals, I hit two out of the three um, spot on. And they were not ones that I knew on January 1st of 2022 that I was even going to do. Um, wow. My okay, personal I just want, goals, I, I failed. Oh. <laughs> work in progress, work in progress. Work in progress. They, they kind of went over into 2023. I'm going to try it again. Well, that's good. At least it's not something you say, I didn't make it, so I'm not going to try again. No, that's not me. I think it's interesting. So I feel like, have we talked about before intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation? I feel like you're very intrinsically motivated. Yes, I'm definitely that. Mm -hmm. And I have to do it myself on my own. I'm not good at like, I love listening to other people give really good advice. And I kind of put that into the brain, but I have to do it my way. I don't think that's an uncommon trait on successful people. I don't know. Every day I try. That reminds me of a, a prayer that I heard once. Dear Lord, so far today, I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't made any missteps. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed this morning. <laughs> so I'm asking for your help throughout the day. <laughs> and that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Our podcast with Pilar, when she said to sit in bed and take I don't remember if it's three to five minutes and just try not to think about anything. I try to still do that. And the days that I do do that work better for me. See, I took advice from somebody, right? Exactly. We have a phenomenal guest, which I think we're going to get a lot of advice from or glean a lot of interesting information from. We have Judy Wirt and she works in placement. So we'll learn more about that. She's been working with leadership and innovative companies for over 25 years. So she's got a lot of good advice to give. What's really interesting is how we take advice from people. Remember when your kids were little and you would tell them something, you'd tell them something and you'd tell them something and it just never got through and they'd come home from I don't know, their best friend's house and their best friend's mom said something and they thought it was the best thing in the world. And it's the same thing you'd been trying to tell them for the last 12 years. And it's simply who's delivering that advice, how they're hearing it, and when they're ready to accept learning it. And I think that's what this podcast is about. We have incredible people that come on and give us all sorts of information. And hopefully some of it sticks and helps those who are wonderful enough to listen. Which we are very grateful. Let's talk about that for a minute for all of our listeners, because 2022 was a very, very good year for our podcast. And I hope 2023 will be the same or even better. I agree. The growth that we've seen. This is a, I, I say it all the time. It's a labor of love. And when you love what you do, success happens. I truly believe that. And our success is coming in ways that I don't think we even anticipated. And 
that fuels us to do more. So we're so grateful for people who have tuned in, who follow us, who take the time to comment, who reach out, our friends and family, who listen to us and give us great feedback, really, and our sponsors. Rustica is still with us and we now have Continental Diamond and we have Renee Keller Interior Design and all three have been guests on our podcast. Yes, they have. And they were all extremely extremely good. Yeah. It's fun to hear how people get to where they are. I think that's always very interesting. And what I really love is the commonalities that people share and how those commonalities still people are unique in all the world, how they come to things. It's very true. And then there's, you have a conversation with a stranger and you realize that that stranger is thinking the same thing you are just in a different way sometimes. And I have that happen to me all the time when I meet new clients and I start helping them and I have to figure out I got to get in their head because in order for me to help them, I have to be in their head and I have to see the commonalities and the differences and the uniqueness of each individual. So that's something that I've learned over the years and it's really helped me be me. Absolutely. And yet the same with everyone you see, because we cannot start a year without commenting on the fit of the bra. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Katie, you, I had a laugh. I was getting ready this morning. Me, I put on a different bra that I haven't in a long time. And I put it on and I'm like, I just shake my head and I'm like, okay, Lisa Rubin, why haven't you adjusted this bra strap? <laughs> so I had to take it off and I had to adjust it, which was just something I want to let everyone know. You have to take that extra 30 seconds and do that because it makes a big difference. Once again, 2023, we're going to end with the bra conversation. Mm starting. We're going to start with the bra conversation. Yes, we're going to start. So Lisa, as long as we're talking a little bit about fashion, because obviously the foundation is the foundation of all the fashion. Tell me what you're seeing for 2023. We've had a tumultuous couple of years and a lot of changes. What, what does the future hold for this year? So Katie, I'm very excited. I've had the opportunity to preview some lines because a lot of people come to me and want to show them to me so that I can pre-sell. And what I've seen so far, which I'm super excited about is suiting is coming back. And I knew, I told you that a year ago that suiting would come back, but it's coming back in a different way. It's not your basic classic suiting that you're actually going to be seeing a lot of like shorts and jacket combinations, which no, I would not recommend that for certain corporate settings. I love but, it so much, <laughs> <laughs> but it is cute with a nice high heel. The pants are still all different lengths. They are wide. The super narrow slim cut. I'm not seeing a lot of, I'm seeing more of like a a, a tighter leg that kind of flares out at the bottom or a capri length or an ankle length, but a little wider at the bottom, but not at the top. Very classic at the top. I'm seeing a lot of color. Green is a big one. You're going to see a lot of green. What color green? Emerald green? I've so far seen, seen a lot of emerald and moss not the pastel greens. Now they're probably going to come through for summer. This is all spring collection, right? And I'm also seeing a lot of utilitarian looks. Uh, the cargo pant is coming back, but in a little different way, um, that grunge look, that goth kind of look, but it's, it's twisted a little bit. So people that never liked that look, they might end up liking something, but it's kind of come from that goth look. So if anyone watched the Golden Globe Awards, Um, you'll see kind of some of that influence coming through. There's a lot of sheer, a lot of things that will be sheer. So women, 
that bra is really important. Or if you're not going to wear a bra, just pay attention to that. And a lot of the dresses are going to show a lot of skin. So those who don't want to show their skin, of course, there's other looks. But if you'll notice with all the award ceremonies coming up, you'll start seeing what little glimpses of what you're going to see for spring and summer. That very classic sheath look of a dress is going to be done in many different ways. And I'm so excited about that because that's my favorite. Thinking about the clients that you have, how do you adjust their wardrobe? Obviously, people are not throwing out their entire wardrobe because styles have changed a little bit. No, but Katie, the good news about this is a lot of my clients have things in their closet they haven't worn in three or four years that were from that classic era. So I'm going to take them out and then I'm going to put a little twist on it, whether I do more of a trendy shoe. Remember, my whole thing is you wear one trendy thing on your body, right? In the corporate world. Can it be at least one or are you like one? No, no, it can be at least one. But what I try to tell people if they're designing and developing a wardrobe, wardrobe and they're going to spend money on it and they're going to buy quality pieces. I want those pieces to last at least five years. So those pieces that they bought five years ago, I'm hoping they can take back out and maybe put a little different jacket on a scarf with different colors, a new shoe, some different jewelry. So that's what I'm trying to say. Fabulous advice, a return on investment in all things business related, personal related. I think the big thing that I'm hearing and I hope carries through, and I am going to personally work on this myself, is less is more. That's my mantra going into 2023. Less is more. That's always been my mantra. Everybody has a budget. Everybody can only spend so much on their clothes. But when I do get a new client, I like to talk to them about buying two pieces of better quality than buying five pieces that they're going to have to rebuy in two to three years. Makes total sense. Along with that, in the realm of what I'm doing, I'm seeing a lot more people downsizing. I'm seeing a lot more people who are put into the position of having to downsize their parents' properties. And it's very interesting, some of the tips and tricks of of getting through that and how to really talk to your family and how to approach the subject and what do you do with the stuff? I'm going through that right now. You're going through that right now. And one of the things that I tell people is take pictures of things that you know you can't keep, but you love and put a Shutterfly album together. It's fun. They are the easiest things to do. If there's clothing that let's just say your mom has passed on or is having to downsize, but had a killer wardrobe, lay some things out in a cute outfit on a bed, on the floor, take a picture of it. If that evokes a memory of you, if you have a picture of her in that, lay that picture out next to that outfit, or just take a picture of the picture and put that in your album of remembrance. And I guarantee you, it's going to be a lot easier to sit with a book that you have put together and have lovely memories and evoke those conversations than it is to have thrown all these pictures in a box that you're going to get to later. And my guess is that box is going to sit in a closet and not be gone through and maybe until your family is doing the same thing for you. So a lot of these little things, touching things one or two times rather than moving things around to just continue to move them. I would say that would be another thing, teaching and training people. Yes, these are your wonderful belongings that you've had. They're going to be of value to someone else. And so how do you keep the memories of something alive 
without actually keeping the item. I think that's a fantastic idea. I'm actually going to do that, Katie. What's so interesting is that my dad is going through all of his stuff and he found a photograph of his parents. They owned a delicatessen on the north side many, many years ago. And it was a quite famous delicatessen way back when. And when I was a little girl, I used to go and help my grandma there and she made a little outfit for me. And he found a picture, not with me in it, but of the actual counter of the delicatessen with my grandma having the little outfit that she wore every day. And I said, dad, I need to take a picture of that. He said, well, I'm keeping it. I said, no, I just want it in my phone. Mm -hmm. And I, it was fantastic. And I'll help. I'll keep that in my phone. Mm -hmm. So and nowadays with nowadays, so my grandmother days with our phones and what we can do with those phones to catalog. You take that picture, you can immediately put it into a remembrance file. So even if that's how you're doing it, if you don't even get to that Shutterfly album, which I got to tell you, and I'm not getting anything from Shutterfly, it is a easy app to use and create a book. Our oldest daughter every year goes through all of her pictures and creates a book of the year. And that sits bound and it's no more than a half an inch thick. And it's maybe 11 by eight, 11 by 10. So she's got a nice little catalog of memories. What a simple thing to do and, and to have it in for me, I mean, yeah, she can hand me her phone. I can go through pictures, but how lovely to have that, to go over and sit and look with the kids. The kids love to go through it. Most of all, they love to look at the pictures of when they were younger. So lots of fun that you can do. It's just really taking the time. My big thing for people now is literally schedule yourself for tasks. You have I to agree. get your oil changed in your car. You have to go to get your mammogram. You have to do all of these things. You have to schedule yourself to clean out closet A or organize garage. It is really the only way to get in the habit of doing these things if it's not something you really enjoy doing. I think that's a brilliant idea. And I actually have been doing that, Katie. Yeah, bravo. Now with that... We're going to learn all sorts of new and wonderful things from our guest, Judy Wirt. Before we talk to Judy, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear from Continental Diamond. Are you ready to elevate your jewelry and gift buying experience? Then you need Continental Diamond. Since 1981, Helene and Jimmy Pessis have been operating Continental Diamond. Their staff is highly trained, exceptional, and have been with them for many years, and they will help you find the exact right gift. For the past 13 years, Continental Diamond has been named Minnesota Bride's Best Jeweler. Beyond engagement rings, they have a large selection of fashion jewelry, timepieces, and they have one of the most experienced service departments around. You can visit them online at continentaldiamond.com. Go in and give yourself the gift of that experience. It's a special place located just 10 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, right outside the West End. Plan your visit. Continental Diamond. Continentaldiamond.com. Judy Wirt is with Wirt and Company, and Judy has been working with the leadership of innovative companies for over 25 years. She has earned an international reputation as a pivotal force in executive search, a trusted authority in the world of design and business. Judy is also known for bringing an added dimension to her work, a humanistic approach, fostering deep relationships through empathy, intuition, and curiosity. 
Judy Wirt, thank you so much for joining us. We are ecstatic to have you with us. Thank you for having me as well. I need some dirt on Lisa. I know you go way back. <laughs> oh boy. I don't really have any dirt on Lisa. I just remember, actually, Lisa was reminding me of some interesting moments in our household during a thunderstorm. I won't go into detail, but I don't have that memory. The memory I have is that Lisa always looked beautiful. And I always mm. wanted to know how she started her day. Oh, oh that's so nice of you, Judy. Thank you. And it, it's not surprising you ended up, you know, addressing the world of fashion and how people show up. Because that's what I thought of you way back when. I guess I had. Wow. I was able to detect that pro professional DNA in you. Well, thank you. I Well, should I return the question and say, how do you remember me from back when? I remember us laughing a lot. You and I would giggle. We would giggle and we would laugh about different things. That's what I remember. And we would always find some naughty treat to have and sit around and just talk about nothing. Here we um, are today talking about something. <laughs> yeah, and you have a lot, of, that, a lot of some things to talk yeah. about. That's for and sure. It was, and, you know, how did we get to this podcast today, right? And so I was talking to some friends and saying some guests I would like to have on. And one of a friend that we grew up with was like, Lisa, you have to connect with Judy Word. I'm like, what? And then she told me what you did. And so that's how this all came down. And it was so nice to reconnect after totally. all of these years. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time. And Just I mean, got I a nice warm heart from that that feeling like it's nice when you can reconnect from your past, but you're, you know, you're more evolved and developed and self-aware than we were back in the day at age seven or grade seven. Yeah. And, and when you have good memories, right. Mm -hmm. And you want to think about how's she doing? What does she look like? Is she talk the same? And all of those things, you know, you look fantastic and you, you still are Judy, the Judy I knew. So yeah. um, I love that. All right. So Judy, Please. you obviously had the start in Minnesota yep, and made the decision to go to college in Michigan. True that. Go blue. The other M. <laughs> Maze and blue. And what, what was your major? What did you go into? I studied design. Um, I ended up in the design school and my major was graphic design with a minor in textile design. So I always loved fabrics and color and texture. To this day, I still do. Um, I'm kind of a textile geek. And then, so from somewhere in there, you went, did you work in graphic design before getting into actually executive placement in graphic design? I did. When I graduated college, I moved to Chicago with a job in hand a week later. I didn't take any time off, shame on me, and went straight into practicing as a young designer. And that was in, what, 1983. And um, worked for a couple of different firms, really formative years and with great design firms. I actually was a good graphic designer, but I started to gravitate into being this middle person between the designer, the design problem and the client. And so I started to discover my business voice. And I also discovered kind of my mediation voice, like being able to interpret, to calm one person down, to help interpret what somebody meant. And then what happened was I was in Chicago for a couple of years and I reconnected with an old friend 
and who turned out to be my husband. Uh, we started publishing a children's book together and oh. he was in Minneapolis and I was in Chicago and we would go back and forth to work on this project. He was also working on some other personal endeavors while I was practicing design. And within that period of time, we discovered there was something magical happening. Long story short, I ended up um, leaving Chicago to pursue love, moved back for a short bit in Minneapolis, got married. And then on our honeymoon, Jeff decided he was going to become a rabbi. And so we ended up moving to Los Angeles to begin his, his journey in his graduate program in rabbinics. And at that moment, I still had to work. So I ended up looking for jobs that were kind of a hybrid of design again and design management and worked on some really interesting projects. I, I remember one specific project was the Los Angeles Central Library System. I mapped out over like 10,000 sign and sign. I did the signage program with a firm, but it was a it was a huge project. And it was orchestration of so many details and mapping out how someone goes from room to room um, in a library system of that scale. I got pregnant with Daniel, our son. We moved to Israel and that was part of Jeff's education. We came back to New York and I needed to find a job. Jeff was still in school. I went to a recruiting firm looking for a job because I was gonna be the breadwinner at the time. and. We needed to put Daniel in daycare. And long story short, they asked me if I wanted to be a recruiter. I didn't know what that meant. And um, this particular firm at the time in 91. And my career took off in recruiting. That's a great story. I'm I'm eliminating a lot of the uh, challenges of that story. It was hard <laughs> moving, you know, from here to there raising a, a baby. Daniel was four weeks old when we moved to Israel. I was a new mother in a country. I took the dictionary with me to buy diapers. So I knew exactly, like I was a new mom. Imagine that. There was no, there was no email. There was no FaceTime. There was none of that. So we really were on a journey as a young, tiny family in, in Israel. And we found our independence. And as a young married couple as a young family. We talked about this before we got started that we all have had very long marriages right. and that have gone by really in the blink of an eye. But those beginnings really, especially when you're, you've just got each other. Yeah. Set you up for, I think, huge success. Well, you have to find your way together because there's no one else. There's, there's no, you know, mother-in-law telling you how to do this or that like you know what maybe we would have phone calls every so often but we had to figure it out all by ourselves in a foreign country how long were you there we were just there for a year and then you know the program was start in la a year in israel and then three years in new york and we never intended to stay in new york that was not our intention at all but here we are i don't know 20 30 years later. Do you still have any relationships or friendships that you made that first year in Israel that you've kept over the years? Yes. Um, we Because we were on the program for the school, um, there were a number of um, people that we became friends with, mostly Americans that were with us on the program. I mean, okay. remember, I was a newborn mom. I was trying to make my way through the day. So it's not like I had a big social club. 
Um, I think I went to a couple of mommy and me classes, but the friendships that we built during that program, one, one couple in particular remain very dear friends of ours to this day. And actually, you know, back then we didn't really have any resources for babysitters. I, I think I had a babysitter at one of the, the students' wives came once a week to relieve me so I could go walk on my own in the streets of Jerusalem. But for the most part, these, the, the small group of friends, they became like, Daniel's first babysitters. We still joke about it today. That's wonderful. What an experience. So then when you came back and you went to work for a recruiting company, how long were you internal in a working for someone else before you decided, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do this. I was there for about three and a half years. I would say it took three months before I realized like, I love this work. First of all, I had lived in different uh, design communities, LA, Minneapolis, Chicago, some exposure to the design community in Israel even, and just started reconnecting with all the people I knew and found that I had, I had something to say. And I had a very strong point of view on recruiting, not as a transaction, but as a path for capturing stories about people, what they care about, what they think about, their raw stories. I loved listening to stories and found that I had a very, a way about it. And again, long story short, Jeff was finishing his program and it was not easy you know, being in New York, two very distinct careers and trying to make a living to be surviving in New York. And at that time, we were actually living in Harlem in student housing and we then moved. And I woke up one morning and I'm like, I think I can do this on my own. I have a vision for what recruiting could be and took a deep breath and happened to be Daniel's first day of kindergarten and went in and gave notice and there we were. This is pre-LinkedIn. This is, email was just going. This was pre-Google. This was at the early stages of the dot-com evolution. So in September, 1995, Daniel's first day of kindergarten, we launched Wharton Company. I didn't even have an email address. The next day I received a call from a client who I had worked with. They they found me again and they're like, we have a big endeavor that we want to build out an entire digital service. And it was a major media company. And he's like, what's your email? And I said, can I get back to you tomorrow? <laughs> Ran to Kinko's, <laughs> set up an email account and off we went in our living room. Isn't that oh my fantastic? Gosh. Do you think you'd do it again? If you, if you knew what you knew now, do you think you'd do it again? Absolutely. This is my, this is my path. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's how That's you feel. exactly how I feel. I mean, when I'm working, I'm the most relaxed. Yeah. I Even if it's... I'm always relaxed when I'm working, because I'm working on, I, I mean, like you, you're involved in people's personal stories. I'm a deep empath. So like, I, I, I take to heart what I hear on a daily basis. So some days it is hard, especially during periods of, you know, the recession and COVID and September 11th, these are, these are moments when it was really hard building a business. And, you know, when your product are, is people and their stories and their dreams and their hopes and their sadness, it can get hard. It can drain. And I've, I've had to learn how to separate myself in order to be helpful and to be instructive. I agree with that a hundred percent. I always say to people, I have so much in my head of everything I know, like I'm the big vault because when I get with a client and the woman gets either in her house or in a dressing room 
she takes her clothes off. It's like she Exposure. sheds everything. She sh- yeah. And I hear everything. And yeah. and I'm that stranger on the train, right? And I'm the first person to learn about anything good or bad in their life. Yeah. I get it. Contrasting that, Judy, because that makes sense for Lisa. They're not, it's not a person looking for a job through you or it's not a company. So how do you get past the layers of, I want to put my best foot forward to show you to really dig deep, to get to know that person that you're then going to place that that company has entrusted you to place, right? It's really about asking questions, authentic questions where you really want to know, not from a script. I'm really not a script person. I go with the energy of the moment. I try to find that connection at, at that first moment whether it's an email or whether it's back in the day, you know, phone calls, but now mostly introductions start through email. The thing that I really focus on at the very beginning of any conversation is trying to figure out what this person cares about. What is most important to them? Because if I know that at its core, I can be helpful to that person. Then I start to develop, go deeper into like, why have they made these choices? You know, what are the themes of continuity between job? A, job B, job C. What do they feel they've mastered? What do they feel like they need to master? How do they want to grow? So I I ask these very high high gain questions to unlock truth, to lock, unlock authenticity of the response. I have a pretty good awareness for when I'm still have to break through, someone's still guarded. But I would say that bringing a level of care and empathy and concern has always been the way that I've woven into people's lives. Do you think it's been harder because it's all through a computer, through Zoom, through email, where back when you started, you probably met somebody for lunch or breakfast, or you sat and talked to them in person. Do you think that you can still get the same information out of someone doing it? Let's call it the new way. This new way hasn't been so new for me. I've been doing this for a while because we work globally. And so obviously I'm not going to get on a plane every single time I need to talk to someone. No, at this point, like I feel like I'm I'm in the room with you. I think maybe there's Zoom fatigue that creeps in, but there's also fatigue when you have breakfasts back to back with people in person as well. So I kind of like the everyone shows up, you get to see their their homes, you get to see their artwork, you get to see their kids drawings. I think you get to see people more in their environment than you would showing up at a breakfast meeting. I never really liked breakfast meetings anyway. Interesting. That's a good that's a good point. You see differences between the job seekers now than perhaps when we were seeking? Well, there's more access. I think back in the early days, it was there wasn't as much volume. There wasn't as much access. There wasn't as much social media. So on the one hand, there's more for me to feel like I need to be in touch with. Um, I have a little bit of that FOMA. Oh, I want to meet that person. Oh, I love what that person's doing. I want to call them. I want to get to know them. And my approach has always been not to just recruit somebody for a job, but I've always taken the approach. Do they have an interesting background? Can I learn something from them? And I will reach out to them. And I, I believe that that has helped me to develop a community of people who trust us. But I don't know if that answered your question. I think the volume of access is the biggest difference. The amount of people that can reach me now that 
couldn't reach me in the same way because they would have to pick up the phone and call me. Whereas now, you know, I can field 300 emails a day and I can get through, I can actually make more connections because of today's technology. But there's also more discipline that needs to be employed because I can't talk to all those people either. Does that require additional staff? Does that require screening that's maybe a little more tight than it used to be? I've had to learn how to say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to speak right now. Your background is impressive. I would love to stay in touch with you. And I actually mean that. We do save and capture in a a proprietary tool that we've built every conversation I've had since 1995. And we pay attention. And I will often call somebody 10 years later and say, do you remember when you wrote me this message back in the day where you said you really had an ambition to work for company Nike, for instance, and here you are 10 years later working for Nike. And oftentimes people are blown away that I will email them. Just yesterday, actually, I had a conversation with a candidate and they their mind was blown that they had, they had written this to me in 1993. And it was sort of memory lane for them to see what they cared about then. I'm like keeping people's journals without them even knowing it. Are there time capsules? I have time capsules on periods of time of people. Absolutely. That's incredible. What 130,000 people in our database of people that I have a story about. What made you think to start cataloging that at the beginning? It's funny. Our very first office was, interestingly enough, a shared space with an architecture firm. We, Jeff and I rented two, three desks. This was before even like, you know, WeWork existed back in the day. And we rented a desk and my cousin at the time, my dear cousin was like, why don't you set up a database just to start tracking everything? I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And so from the very beginning, we had a a tool that we started tracking, but we also still had paper files. Like I still have my little note, my note cards of where I would write stories. And then there was a period of time where we transferred everything from those note cards into a database. Um, And that was a big uh, project. But I guess I've been, I've always been a saver. I even, I have my sweet 16 birthday cards. I've always been a saver. In fact, Lisa, I wonder if you were even at my sweet 16 party. If you were, I probably, I bet you were. I'm sure I was. That's when we were friends. I saved love letters. I saved birthday cards. I have books with Ziggy, you know, from Ziggy was our little cartoon character back in the day with notes from my friends. I've always been a saver. It's kind of, it's remarkable. I even have a note Believe it or not, this is hilarious. When Jeff and I were, we went to camp together. And you know how we always used to do these autograph books? And at the end of a school year or at the end of whatever milestone. And Jeff actually wrote to me, I believe that we have so much in common. I believe our paths will cross one day. I must have been... 15. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That's really incredible. I should frame it. Actually, I should pull it out today since today's our anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. I think I will go find that little artifact. And you know exactly where it is, right? I I know exactly where it is. Yeah, I'm incredibly organized in that way. So the database has become really a, a collection, a curation of people's stories within the design world. Amazing design leaders driven by creativity, driven by passion, having a huge influence on business. I mean, the people that we represent, I've known for some people I've known for 
25 years and have watched their careers evolve as as you watch your children evolve. I've watched people grow up. I always tell the story of we tracked portfolios and there was a, a young student who I thought was incredibly talented. We made a little notation about him. Watch this guy. He's going to be amazing one day. He's going to grow up and be something special. And it turned out to be Joe Gebbia, who was the founder of Airbnb. So we've really tracked founders from their early days. I know what they've gone through on a personal level. I know a little bit about their families. I know a little bit about their animals. I know what they struggled with in even in their early days of their career. It is so interesting. You said at the very beginning that you really wanted to create a business that did not feel transactional. Mm -hmm. And you are just exuding this care and warmth that has to come with every interaction that you have with people. It makes you, I'm not looking for a job, Judy. I want to come work with you. I want you to find my next big thing. Just that's how you feel. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Truly. And I, and I have to believe then when these people reach what they're doing, you have conversations with them or you send them a note or there's some interaction that they know you're there for them from, from whatever stage they're at, which is really incredible. You know, the most beautiful thing that I feel after that I can, that I I celebrate right now is the fact that I do have so much history with these change makers in the industry. And I, I say that with a level of humility because they weren't there necessarily, you know, they were in their early days, but now I can, I can, I'm a text away. I can say, Hey, John, how's it going? But there is so much history in that one line text. There's a relationship there. There's a freedom to be able to say, how's it going? Should we catch up? Is it time? Maybe it's time we catch up. And that has taken 30 years to build that ability to be a text away from somebody. It looks maybe easy for somebody, but there's a lot that has gone into being able to do that. So what you just said, I I was thinking about that. And that's so true in my business too, because so many of my clients, I've watched them grow up. Right. Being that I've been doing this for 39 years. And some of them started out and they were the babies starting their career. And now they're retired and they're sitting on boards or not sitting on boards. And that one text away, and I'm always that person that I do check in with people. They appreciate it because they're so busy and they have so much going on and they don't think anyone really cares. And then they get that text, right? What's common for the both of you in that is that you're not doing it for a business reason. No, you're doing it because you care, you genuinely care about the trajectory of their life. And therein lies the difference. It's not transactional. It's because you truly care. I think that's why I'm in business. I really do care. I actually, I'm in business for two reasons. Well, probably more than two, but one, I believe in the, the value and the impact design can have on business. So design is my, you know, my currency, my knowledge. I've been in the design industry since college, right? So that's a long time. Um, I've followed the history of design. I have every design magazine that was published. I, I mean, I've saved those too. The other thing that I really care about is people and why they do what they do. And I guess the third is patterns of people. Why do people do what they do over a period of time. And so I often talk about that I'm a pattern seeker and I can make connections like as simple as I, you know, for instance, when people have a baby, they may want to gravitate closer to their family. And I will 
remember that they used to live in Chicago and I have a job in Chicago and they just had a baby. Maybe I will reach out to them and see what they're thinking about. People have shared with me, I have an uncanny sense of timing, but I think it's really just about paying attention to patterns and just feeling the community of people that I have established connection with. You're listening to your gut. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a little bit, you know, I'm curiosity has driven my life from the very beginning. So I'm kind of, what is that person doing? Why are they doing it? Uh, and so again, I think I stumbled into this work, but I think it's the work I'm supposed to be doing. However you got there, it's fantastic. And you talk about the change makers. You are the reason they are able to be change makers in a lot of those situations. So take some credit for that. I'm a catalyst to allow you are a catalyst. Yeah. Love that. Love that word. They, they own their own this. talent. They do. Exactly. You put them in the place to for them to attain what they have attained. So I don't need to place somebody in a job. I need to build the relationship with the person and then the other will follow. I may reach out to someone and and say, you know what, you have a great job. There's no reason for you to consider making a change. What I hear today from you is that you just have a few bumps in your day. Um, you have a few things to sort out with your boss, but I think you have another year in you to work through those issues. And I will, I I will call hard truth when it need. It's like tough, not tough love, but I care that people are doing the right thing. I care that if they're in the wrong place, they should move. I care if they have a few things to work on. Maybe they should stay put and let's touch base in six months, and we'll set a reminder in our little trusted database to touch base with them in six months. That's fantastic. Okay, we're going to talk more. Also want to really hit on, you mentioned that you're very organized and you have to be if you're saving everything. Let's take a quick break, a quick commercial, and we will be back to talk more with Judy Wirt and company right after this. On the Viewing Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab-and-go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we're back. I want to talk about organization because as a living spaces specialist, I am very organized in how I approach things. Had a closet business for many years, grew that. As a little kid, loved changing furniture around, cleaning out my closet, all of those things. Oh, ditto. Yeah. What? However, I'm not the saver that you are. And there are times in my life where I think, why did I ever get rid of that? Or why did I ever get rid of that? So you will never have that problem. But how do you organize your things to be a saver? Uh, Well, first of all, I collect things that are beautiful. I collect things that mean something. I collect things because of its color. Very much about the beauty of the artifact, the beauty of the letter that I received from my father while in college. I've collected all these things. And somehow, the things that mean something to me, they have found their place 
in our home in a way that I can have a, an eye to remembering I should go look at that to remind myself of this or that. I organize things by color. I have certain things, certain pieces of clothing that I've saved that mean something, even though it doesn't fit. But one day, maybe, you know, my grandchild will say, oh, granny, I would love to wear that. And like, I have this thing for what has, what will have meaning down the road for me. You save them in baskets, boxes? No, I have them in, well, I have bookshelves that I love. I have drawers that I keep them in, um, but they all have their place. What I'm hearing is you don't have a huge storage room of which you have things. These things are within reach of you for sure. to be able to enjoy them, which makes all the sense in the world to me. I, I mean, I obviously there's some things I haven't been able to say, but like Daniel's paintings when he was in kindergarten, I have. I have these little projects. I'm, I make these books of drawings from back then. I have all my love letters in a box. Um, not all of them, but some of them that meant something to me. I have all my yearbooks. I have all my camp pictures. I have boxes of pictures that I've slowly moved into the digital um, that I will be making books on. I mean, I have so many projects that, that I would love to get to. A little glass from when I was in art school, a green, a little beautiful green pottery coffee mug that sat with me every day when I was drawing. And it sits, I see it right front and center. It's right there. The artifact of, that has a memory, I've saved. I think that that makes all the sense. Yeah. Now you, you've mentioned Daniel a couple of times, a lot of yeah. changes for you in regard to Daniel, who is your son Yep. coming into the business. What's that been like? That has been one interesting opportunity. So Daniel, he's 33. He moved out to the West coast when he, you know, early in his career, his most recent job, he landed at a custodian bank for cryptocurrency. He was the first employee of a startup, helped them grow to Series C, decided he was at an inflection point. Seriously, he grew up hearing about recruiting, although sometimes he would plug his ears because that was sometimes a family discussion. He grew up in design. He loves design. He raised his hand and said, I'd love to join Wharton Company. I think you've built something amazing and I would love to help carry the legacy forward. And so Daniel joined Wharton Company two years ago. And it's been amazing, really, truly an opportunity to learn about each other as adults. Sometimes it feels like a sitcom when we're on a client call together because it's, <laughs> it's sort of hilarious. Daniel, I have learned so much from Daniel because he's a millennial. He has new ways to work. He has new ways to think about situations. He knows technology like there's no other. Um, he has an eye for the future businesses of what's to come because he's tapped into, you know, future technologies. It's been interesting for the three of us to be in business together, to be in Slack together all day, to be in conference calls all day together. There have been moments where we've had to like step back and say, okay, let's talk about this because no, no matter how hard you try, family stuff gets in there, but it's been a gift to be in business with your, it's been a gift to be in business with your son and your husband. Now talk about your husband as well. How, how long has he been in the business with you? From the day one. He only started with the intention to kind of help 
get it going. And then he would have gone back to his work as a rabbinic chaplain, which was where his focus was. And um, here we are. Do you have any family rules now that you're all three in business that when you don't talk business, like, is there a word? Is there something? I feel like I'm the only one setting up those rules. Like, I feel like <laughs> after 7 p.m., my my office is is somewhat closed. Jeff will come to me, like, as we're about to sit down to watch the news after dinner. He's like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, nope. I think that question I suspect can wait till tomorrow morning. But it it's natural. Like, our work and our life are so intertwined. And... We talk about interesting things we've learned. We've talked about interesting businesses that we're paying attention to. We're, we're talking about people that we care about. So it's work, but it's not really work. I don't know, there's, there's a boundary that blurs, but I think we're all mindful of that boundary. It's funny, before Daniel joined Wharton Company, of course, we would always try to talk with him on the weekend, right? When you catch up with your kids after they're busy with their work week. We have the reverse, right? We're talking all week long, 20,000 times a day. I'm like, okay, weekend is for us to go our separate ways now. Um, <laughs> but he's a hybrid of what I do and what Jeff does. And he will take work company forward in interesting ways. And we trust him. That has to be such an incredibly good feeling, knowing that there's a succession plan in place. Yeah. With to your take company. care of the next generation of design leaders, for sure. But let me tell you, for all the mothers out there that are seeing their teenagers sit on the couch and be cranky or, or you know, wondering what they're going to be when they grow up, I would never have guessed this. It wasn't in my dreams. It wasn't in my plan. It happened. And so, you know, if you just take good care of your kids and give them love and let them make their choices. In most cases, it'll be okay. In our case, it, we were really lucky that he wanted to join us. As I say, you give them water and a little fertilizer. <laughs> That's fantastic. You mentioned something that I think we definitely want to talk about that work and personal are intertwined, not mm -hmm. just for you, but I think they are for everyone. And I 100%. think this is the key to why you are successful at what you do. You talked in a podcast that we listened to, reconsidering how that through the years that changes as you're going through stages of life with the stages of the career. Talk about that a little bit, because that was fascinating to me. When I was talking to you about this, I, I was so fascinated when I was listening to the podcast, I took notes and I still have the notes because what you said was, a slam dunk, so true. And it was just a nice way to think about it. So go for it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do, having lived through different stages of many people's careers, I, I can, with some level of experience, start to organize my thoughts around how people's careers are in chapters. And, you know, I talked about in that podcast, the chapters, years one to five, and just that it's, their beginning. I see it as a chance for unscheduled encounters, for people to just allow for surprise, to not overplan, to not think about this is their first and last job, but to dive in, find somebody that you want to learn from, find a place where you want to learn about the content and just go there. It's it's not necessarily going to be where you end up. It's just It's just a beginning and it's a chance to experiment and um, consciously wander 
I guess that would be a way to put it, like wandering with a level of intention, right? Um, and this is the chance for young kids to be able to do that, like experiment. You'll have plenty of time to have to do something. You don't find some a good job, someone interesting to work for that you'll learn from, whether it will be what, you, you know, listen, I practice design, right? I didn't go in, I didn't start in recruiting. So everything connects at some point. So curious mind, allowing for randomness, that's what chapter one is about. Then you get into like the age of year six to 10, where you're starting to pay attention to what you're good at, what you really care about, finding a professional routine, new life choices in terms of family, kids, partnership. You're probably at an age where your your parents are even getting older. So you're having to like integrate some of that personal into your professional, um, where you struggle, where you want to overcome those struggles, um, what your voice, you're, you're finding your voice in the, in that period of time. And you're probably struggling with some, you may have lost your job. You may have gotten fired from your job. These are all amazing opportunities to, to learn something about yourself. I actually believe getting fired is the best thing that can happen to someone. I believe losing a job is the best thing that something can happen to someone because it is a moment of vulnerability and reflection, um, a time for reflection. And how else do you grow and if you don't have that in your toolkit, right? Um, so you're you're hitting your stride, but your your work and your personnel are kind of you're having to figure out what that looks like. Then years 11 through 15, I talk about kind of truly achieving your clarity. Um, this is what I love to do. And you're reaffirming your narrative of success. You're showing up for teammates as a manager, sometimes as a leader. You're starting to really impact other people's careers. Um, and you're building on emotional and intellectual commitments that that matter to you, um, hopefully by this period of time. It's also a period of time where I think people have struggled, like when they have awakened to awoken to like, this is not what I'm going to be doing. And they may go through a really hard period of time. They may take a sabbatical. They may um, take some time off. I think post COVID more and more people are doing that because they realize life is short and um, this period of time has allowed them to rethink, reconsider what matters to them. So it's clarity and hitting your stride, like both of those things and the tension of those things kind of come together at that period. Then you get to like 16 to 30, you're really making a mark. You may have really built a company, you may have built a business, you've probably you're at a place of even your kids are starting to grow up. You're, you have confidence and fluency in your process, in your way. You're ready to teach and mentor the next generation. Like it's a beautiful time, 16 to 30. Think about it in career, but also think about it as a parent, right? Or in a relationship. Where were you in years one in your relationship? And where are you in your years 30? You just have more clarity, you have your voice, you begin to understand what you what you care about, what you need to master, 
where you where you want to go next and you have you, there's a bit of a, a, a healthy enthusiasm and curiosity to that period of time. And then years 30 plus, be it marriage, be it career. To me, these are all these. You can apply these chapters to your life in any way you can. You can even employ it into the, you know, how a garden grows, right? The garden is the same thing when you start with a blank slate of soil and you start to plant things and you start to see how it grows. Same, same concepts, really. 30 years, though, can be a time of unsettling or it can be in a way because you're like, I've done this, I've mastered this. What do I want to do next? How do I want to give back to the community? What is my second and third chapter going to look like? For some, I think of a client of mine who has been a senior, pretty pivotal force in a major media company. He's been there for so long and, you know, it's time for him to like sit in the garden and read a book. And, but that liminal space of finding peace in a routine that hasn't been your routine for 30 years, for some can be unsettling. Retirement for some is hard. For others, it's a beautiful chance to like figure out what you're gonna do next. So that's kind of how I think of people's careers. And I think it's not a straight line. I think you can be early in your career and want to be mentoring someone. You can be late in your career and start a new job, new career. You can be late in your career of choice and start a new career. So you're back to stage one again. So I think these stages do interlock. This is kind of how I, I think of people's evolution. This is how I think of relationships and evolution. This is how I think of gardens and its evolution. It's fantastic. I love that you that you tied it together saying it doesn't need to be lineal. It's not a lineal thing. And I think you're seeing that. I think, again, it goes to the person. This is why you have to get to know the person you're dealing with, the person that you're going to place, the company that that they're going into, all of these things, these micro movements that yeah. that make such a difference. And I think there's some universal themes that I that I think are for whatever stage you're at. The quality of your relationships will lead to door, doorways of what's next. Think of your every job as being an apprentice, whether you're in your later job or your early job. Remember, you're getting paid to learn things. So learning things can be hard lessons. It can be about a skill. It can be about business, but it can also be learning things about a human dynamic. Stepping out of your comfort zone. I believe everyone needs to step out of their comfort zone. Otherwise, how are you challenged? Everything's just sort of status quo. I think you need to listen to people who disagree with you. I think you have a lot to learn from people who disagree with you. I think randomness, no matter what stage you're at, is really important to allow randomness and um, spontaneity. I think not getting caught up in your own narrative is really important. If you're so caught up in what's important to you, um, you're going to be missing out on some incredible music out there in the world. And I actually believe journaling your journey is really important. I, I've journaled my journey from the very beginning. Wow. I wish what? I were I, that every year I say, okay, I'm going to do it. So let me tell you an app that you should use that will help will be really fun. There's an app called day one. Um, 
it's actually owned by a client of ours. Uh, it's a fabulous tool. It gives you a chance just to like document a photo that you took or a headline that you read in the New York Times or a quote that you read. And you can set up a reminder every day to remind you to do it. It's very visual. I'm a real visual person. So mm -hmm. I think the tool is very well designed and it's pretty fun. Thank you for that. Yeah, I thank will, you. I will definitely look into that. Lisa's got some fun questions. Yeah. Oh. But before I do the fun questions, question we forgot to ask her is who are your clients? Ah, we've really been super lucky to work with some amazing people over the years across many different disciplines and many different verticals. And we've done everything from Disney to the first chief design officer of Airbnb to VPs at Google to Cartier and Innovation Labs to a nonprofit focused on taking care of the elderly and innovate design and innovation and how to make growing older a more inclusive experience. We've worked with academic institutions. We placed the Dean of Design at Carnegie Mellon. We set up a design school. A design school is sort of like an MIT research and design in, in Italy early on. We've worked with Lyft. We've worked with, oh my gosh, so many clients. I'm not even thinking straight right now. Sonos. All the Sonos equipment in your home. We placed the head of design who's led all the industrial design for Sonos. We've, New York Times, we recently placed their head of everything that you touch digitally in New York Times the person that we placed, who I've known for many years. Um, we placed him during the COVID period of time. So we've had the privilege of working with game changers in the industry. We worked with Yahoo, their first design hire back in the day, placed this woman that came out of Netscape into Yahoo. Like So businesses, we tend to be invited in when client it's a new CEO or it's a new mission or it's a new mandate. We recently placed, you probably, you may or may not have heard of it because it's really the next generation, Discord. We just placed, all of our kids probably know Discord, right? We just placed their head of design. So we're in big companies, early stage startups and academic institutions and social innovation and luxury. Four Seasons, we just finished placing a, a big design leader at the Four Seasons Hotel. So we're media, hospitality, consumer products, tech, innovation, social action. It's pretty awesome. But Sorry, if you had asked me that's awesome. what I would be doing when I started, I it, it's really because I've remained curious about how design shows up as a business strategy for companies. And the companies that care about design are the companies that we have been lucky enough to work with. And when you say design, mm -hmm. you're talking about every aspect of design. Architecture, digital, branding, innovation, design strategy, where marketing and brand and design come together. That's design with a capital D. It's, it's designing of an airport, how you walk into an airport. And if you can find your way to your gate, that's design. When you can't figure out how to use your remote control, that is that's bad That's poor design. design. <laughs> yeah. So if something is beautiful and simple and easy to use, that's design at, at its best. And really, form and function work together. Yes, seamless. In good design. Yes, fabulous. Okay, yeah. Lisa. All right, now we're going to switch gears. Judy, what do you think your superpower is? Connecting with people and empathy. 
Okay. And, I mean, and knowing the design industry as well as I do at this point, after 30 plus years of watching design grow up, I think I have a pretty good understanding of what design means for business and for me. All right. And my last silly question for you is if you were a dog breed, what dog breed do you think you are? Oh my goodness. Well, can I, can I pivot that question? What's my spirit animal? Oh, well, you, you can pivot that. Sure. Well, Jeff and I joke about this all the time. He thinks my spirit animal is that I'm a moth. <laughs> Why? Because the moth comes in and out. It's sometimes annoying, but it always gravitates to light. Oh. And um, so I'm always there flittering around. That's my spirit animal. Sometimes there when you don't want me to be there either. Oh, but I bet when people look back on the fact that you were there, even when they didn't want you there, it was actually for good. Maybe. Okay, so back to the dog question, because I do believe that people pick their dogs based on, you know, dogs look like their owners, right? I'm a Norwich Terrier, for sure. Okay. Tell me about a Norwich Terrier. They're just the best dogs ever. We have two, Ella, Bella, and Milo. And... They're cozy and cuddly and fun and mischievous and independent and playful and small and just cuddly to death. And they're smart. I, they're smart. I'm not going to say that's my, like, I, I think feel, that's your personality. Maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> I do. I do. I love my Norwich Terriers. Okay. I do have one more question. You talked a little bit about your memory of Lisa and your love of design. How do you approach your day? Um, I definitely have a ritual, like rituals to my day. I wake up. I usually am. I wake up because one of the dogs is indicating it's time to get up and do his business or her business. So I will get up, let them do what they need to do, feed them and grab my coffee. I have my own sort of special coffee cup. He's ceramics. It's like my go-to coffee cup. No one can use that cup. That's my cup. I have my little corner in the kitchen. And then I take that coffee and I either sit on the couch or sneak back into bed and flip through my emails, flip through Instagram, flip through the New York Times, like flip through just to find out like, is the world on fire or is something really timely that I need to address? And then I put it away. And then I meditate for 20 minutes. I recently started meditation practice during the COVID period with um, a wonderful man who's been my coach. And that's been helpful to sort of just center myself, get dressed. I grab another cup of coffee, my second and last cup of the day. And I sit down and I start to go to work and respond to the emails and prioritize what needs addressing right now. You know, I have emails, I have Slack, I have um, text messaging, I have messaging through Instagram, not really a big Facebook user anymore, Um, but I start to prioritize what needs to be prioritized, whose needs need to be addressed first, which client needs to hear from me first. And I stay centered from the minute I sit at my desk, I try to remember to stand up and take a break. I've built in breaks into my calendar. This is lunchtime, afternoon meditation, 
Um, and now I really try to wrap up my day no later than seven and turn off my computer. And then we have dinner. We usually end up looking at something like Stephen Colbert or a Jerry Seinfeld episode because Jeff is completely obsessed with Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and we'll watch the news and maybe we'll watch a movie. Um, depends on our fatigue level during the week. And we say goodnight and that's that. And start all over the next day. Yeah. And every day is different because every day there's a new problem to be solved with a client, with a candidate, internally at Wharton Company. We have a great team and um, there's surprises every day. And I'm getting used to dealing with the surprises every day. The, the 30 year plus mark that you, what's predictable is the unpredictability. There you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, wrap up, and we want to hear your nonprofit. So stay tuned. A little insight on working with Renee and her team at Renee Keller Interior Design. We have put together a team and a process that has been honed over 13 years to create beautiful homes with intentional beauty. We're storytellers through somebody's home. Our job is to take all the information from what a client wants in their home and bring it to life throughout their house. When you walk through their house, it should feel like them. It should have a kindred spirit about them. It should reflect their life, not ours. And so when we are designing, we are personally designing it for each and every client. To explore working with Renee Keller Interior Design, go to ReneeKeller.com. Judy, let's talk nonprofit. Yes. You brought a nonprofit forward that is near and dear to your heart. Yes. Save the Children is an organization that actually Wharton Companies has supported. We do a year-end donation every year, and this is the donation that we selected for this year. One for climate change, but Save the Children. Saving the children around the world is basically saving our future generation. It's saving our future, right? It's ensuring the health and well-being of future generations, whether in conflict and war, whether they're refugees, whether they've been battered as children in health and education. And it's about gender equality, racial equality, children over a hundred countries who are in crisis in some way and taking care of them. Children are our future, right? So why don't we protect them now? And so this is a global movement that we believe in and that we have chosen to support as a business. Thank you. Savethechildren.org, what it says when you pull up their website, we work in the hardest to reach places where it's toughest to be a child. Correct. I think about these children that don't, how brave some of them are with all, all the niceties that we've grown up with mm -hmm. and they deserve a chance. Yes. Yes, they do. Well, thank you. They are our future. And I'll tell you what, transitioning back, the future is bright for anyone who has had the opportunity to work with you. Oh, thank you thank so you. much for your time. It's really been fun. I haven't even finished my cup of coffee because I've been talking so much. <laughs> How can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out to you? They can email me, Judy, J-O-D-Y, at wertco, W-E-R-T-C-O.com. They can follow me on Instagram if they like dogs and gardens. If you don't like dogs and gardens, you probably don't want to follow me on Instagram. LinkedIn. In, just Judy Wirt, uh, Wirt and Company. 
we are, that's probably the best way. Thank you. Thank Judy. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I could listen to her for hours. She was absolutely fantastic. And it was just so fun to talk to each other as adults after yeah, we've lived this life that we haven't even seen each other. So no, she was incredible. So thankful that you, what I love is this really started because you had conversations with people in your circle of what you're doing and who you are interested in talking to that then bring this up. And that's really, that's special. That's that level of communication that that brings us incredible guests. So thank you for that. Now, people want to get a hold of you. How do they do that? My website is wardrobeconsulting.net and you can contact me through that. Fantastic. I am katieharms.com. Also, you can contact me through that. Our website, theviewinyourmirror.com. We would ask you if you haven't already to follow us, share us, like us, comment, whatever. Uh, all of that helps us grow our business and uh, we are on most social media platforms. We thank you so much. Hope you are energized by this episode of The View in Your Mirror. We hope it helps you to make your view the best it can possibly be as we go into 2023. Until next time. 